Hi, hello, I'm Len. And uh, with me today, wearing a hat, is Don Prosser. How are you, Don? I'm doing great, Len. You look good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I heard you are going to do something fun uh, later today. Yeah, I hope so. Um, we live up here uh, where gun rules are semi-strict, semi-loose. Depends on how you see it here in New York. And we're able to uh, exercise our Second Amendment. So we're going out and doing some uh, target practice. Good. I'm envying you. I would totally do it. Illinois is slightly different. I I I don't know any guns, but uh, I think we should. We we we're probably once I get disability, we're probably gonna move out in the country. So yeah, oh, uh, we'll good. probably get some some second am amendment items. I like that. Um, anything else is uh, going on with you? Uh, well, I mean, you're probably getting the same weather we are. Um, finally, summer has uh, decided to take off and uh, autumn, the fall is my absolute favorite season. So it's beautiful up here. Uh, the trees are changing. Uh, the weather is a little crisp. So it's kind of sweater weather. Perfect, perfect weather to get outside. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is getting really nice here, too. So I was wondering if we could talk about a few things that have been on my mind and you always, you're the best sounding board I ever had. And we just, we, you don't know what it is. I just want to get your feedback on certain things. One of the things that, that has been on my, yep, uh, that has been on my mind is I had a live event at a library in St. Charles and we were talking about nanotechnology and its connection with brain computer interface and we had about 50 people and you could hear pin drop. It was just so new to them and certain portions uh, of my presentation, people just uh, didn't know how to react to it. So I wanted to run by you, not the microscopy part because it's, you can see it everywhere else. But the concepts, the connection between those two, I want to run by you. And I want to show you a portion of my presentation where sure. I'm talking and just get your reaction. The name of the talk was uh, what's in your pharmaceuticals and what's in your pharmaceuticals. And then later in the blood is the nanotechnology. And I demonstrated it and also used uh, work of my colleagues. Uh, but the takeaway message was that nanotechnology is not just something that we have in our bodies. It's something that enables brain cloud interface. Does brain cloud interface uh, sound foreign to you or are you familiar with the concept? Uh, it's the first time I've heard it, but I'm just going to imagine cloud meaning, obviously, the cloud will restore information and then some kind of interface with our you know, somatic brain. Yeah, a cloud could be mean a computer, a computer that resides on the network. It's the next step in brain-computer interface. So if your brain has this bidirectional connection with a computer and the computer is residing on the network, then it's on the cloud. And so that would be brain-cloud interface. Hmm. And I wanted to show people the technological progression that we we already know about the internet of things we know we have thermostats and apple watches and you know things that are connected to the network 
but they're non-biological things. As the, those sensors and the technology communicating to the network is becoming smaller and is becoming in the, on the nanoscale, which is a nano nanometer is a one billionth of a meter. And at that scale, a property of these things are slightly different because you literally can make a little machine out of atoms, like use atoms as a, a Lego a building blocks. So you can build things on the atomic level and the properties mm. of these things at that scale are slightly different. And we're not familiar with it because we live on the macro scale. The smallest thing we can see with the naked eye is probably like, you know, half a millimeter. So that would be uh, 500 microns. And microns are a thousand times bigger than a nanometer. So the official definition of nanotechnology is anything from one to a hundred nanometers. It's not written in stone, but that's the overall understanding. So you can have a micro-scale nanotechnology made out of nanoparts. So it would be on the, at the micron size, but it's made out of nano building blocks. But the main outcome of this is that we have internet of nano things. And when these nano things are in the body, they become bio nano things. And so bio nano things will create intra-body networks and internet of nano things outside of the body will create off-body networks. And then together, you will have an integrated body-centric network. So you will have a representation of a body, representation of the world surrounding us. And so you get representation of the entire world, like it's simulated reality using nanoscale, biosensors and other things. Are we clear so far? Yeah, I'm following you. I'm tracking you. Good. And then I gave an overarching sort of mind map of all things nano. So you would have nano sensors. And as far as uh, bio nano sensors, they would be classified into things that can found in blood and other tissues and neural nano devices or nanos, as they, they, yeah. they call them in the literature. And those are the ones that cross the blood-brain barrier, get into your, your brain, and enable brain-cloud interface, the, the one that we just mentioned. And in order to do that, you have to have three kinds of nano devices and the neurobots, uh, if you can imagine a neuron in your brain, so it would have a body. And so endoneurobots would reside in the body of the neuron. Hmm. And then gliobots, glia is the type of supporting tissue that the neurons are not suspended in, in vacuum. They're surrounded and supported by cells called glia. And so glia would also have nanobots inside them. And they're called glia nanobots. And then synaptobots, if this is a central body of a neuron, and it had dendrites on the other side, and it has exons on the other side. And if dendrites is when the information incoming into the neuron, and the exon is when it's sending it further, 
but the connection between the cells is enabled using synaptic spaces, right? So this there's a synapse at the end of any dendrite and the exon. And okay. so there would be nanobots living in those intracellular synaptic spaces. So I'm looking like a bird. So <laughs> is that is that clear also? Uh, then that's yeah. probably the most interesting part for me. Yeah, that's what enables brain. That's the connection I want to show. And I think people got it and you got it. So we're on the same page. And of course, for the network to work, you need to transmit things back and forth. So you will have various forms of nanotransmitters. And then you need nanocomputers. You need energy generators. You need actuators. So if you want this nanobot, this moving nanorobot to actually do something that you will have to have a special kind of bot and they can be kinetic which means they can move or stationary so this pretty much covers everything in the nanobio world this is my favorite quote, one of my favorite quotes by aristotle by life we mean a thing that can nourish itself and grow and decay so really the question what are we going to call this nanotechnology. It's often called synthetic biology, but we also call it technology. So the question is, would it be prudent to call biology a form of technology? That's the question I really want to hear your comments about. This is this is what I put together as an overarching framework. Would you agree with it? Hmm. So let me let me follow you, see if I'm understanding it from your level, which I'm nowhere close to, but I'm uh, I'm, I'm keeping up. So a, a natural biologically evolved thing, what 99% of us think of as creation, um, has one fatal flaw. We have absolutely no idea the original spark of it. So we just always assume that life has existed, it always will exist, and it has a mother from something, right? A, a seed, you and I come from that. And that's an issue I think we have to cross is where is that spark happening? If that spark is synthetic itself, then all we're doing is we're going from synthetic, natural, back to synthetic. So if I understand you, synthetic biology could be anything that we deem nature has not produced. Would that be close? Yeah, when you say natural, what's the opposite of natural? And I hope yeah, not. Yeah, and that's, that's an instinct. So, for example, when we see a beaver build a dam and he takes a bunch of logs and he builds the dam, we see that as natural. But when man creates concrete and makes a sky rise that's, you know, 500 uh, stories tall, we don't think that's natural, right? Because we've created it, not understanding that for us, that concrete brick is exactly what the log is to the beaver. The beaver doesn't say, well, gosh, that's unnatural. I need to use something else. It says, this is a tool at my disposal. Nature has taught me that I can build this. And isn't that the exact same thing that man has done? Is saying, hi, I have the technological know-how to build this stuff called concrete. I can make a block, which takes a place of that log, and I can build it at an exponential scale, but we call that unnatural because we don't see ourselves as a facet of nature, right? We're above nature. We're, 
or or superimposed on a natural order and we're superior. I think if you look at synthetic, you're again getting back to the same equation. A beaver cannot synthetically build a nanobot. But as you're saying, a human can. That's just taking an advanced prefrontal cortex saying, I have the intelligence to create that. What makes it natural as opposed to synthetic? That I think is that backwards equation. Where did all of this come from? It couldn't have come from something. It has to come from absolute emptiness, which is zero. So is that synthetic right there? Okay. Okay. I do follow you. But the statement that biology is a form of technology, does it does it make you, I, I know it makes a lot of people cringe. Does it have the same reaction or you are accepting of this uh, statement? Oh, I, I think I'm, I'm very accepting of it because biology is the science or understanding of something, not necessarily what it is itself. So we don't say that I possess biology. We don't say it's in my hand. We say I study biology, which is the study of living organisms, but it is not in itself the organism. We could study the biology of baboons, but we are studying understanding of a baboon. We are not becoming a baboon to experience life as a baboon. So when it's technological, I say all for it. All right, great. I'm glad you are very open-minded to this because I, as I said, this is the part that make people go make well, a lot of people. Well, yeah, wait a minute. Well, uh, you saying my right. body is a, is a form of technology. And so now this actually, that kind of explains it. In order to support my statements, I used parts of the interviews and and presentations of Dr. James Giordano, and he is the leading person on neurotechnology. Just just a really brief uh, bio, he is a chief of neuroethics at the Pellegrino Centers of Clinical uh, bioethics. He's a professor of uh, neuropathology at Georgetown University and Medical Center in Washington, D.C. He has a lot of projects. Uh, he works on a lot of projects for DARPA, which is Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. So he has connection with military projects, and he is author of multiple publications, and one of the things that he lectures on uh, could be summarized as uh, the brain is the battlefield of the future. He also warns us that we do possess uh, newer weapons that cause Havana syndrome, and this form of brain injury is now a public safety issue and will likely escalate in the future. We'll be here with more and more civilians will be victims of it. Mm-hmm. And he also talk about nanotechnology being a part of weaponized neuroscience. And that's the part I want to talk about. One of the, his interview, believe it or not, but Homeland Defense and Security Information Analysis Center has its own podcast. And in September of 2020, he gave a two-part interview in which he talks about nanotechnology. Let's give it a listen. Furthermore, if we take a look at some other enabling technologies, for example, nanotechnology, nanotechnology can be used to provide scaffolds or micelles that then allow the auto-assembly of molecules in situ, allow their penetrance into a biological system. They can work as chaperones. 
as well, we can utilize these nanomaterials independently because of some of the characteristics that the nanomaterials possess and some characteristics that can be imbued upon them. Autoaggregation, clumping, disruption, and these can have physiologically disruptive effects when then introduced into a biological system. And one of the more recent developments has demonstrated that these types of nanomaterials are aerosolizable. We can spray them into the air. Now, again, the aerosolizable field at present is rather limited in terms of its size and with regard to its durability and its distance. But these are simply steps toward what may then be probabilities and or possibilities of how nanomaterials might be used either alone and or in tandem with other things to either be force multipliers and potentiators or to be used as weaponizable entities themselves. Does this clear anything um, yeah, that, that puts a more frightening aspect to it, how he describes it. And he, he says it very matter-of-factly, not like he's guessing or he's uh, supposing anything. He seems like this is old-school news to him. It is old news for most neuroscientists, but not for other experts who are not paying attention to the advances in neurotechnology or nanotechnology for the general public, right. it is just not a part of the conversation. So the next next few snippets I used from his speech at the United States Academy. So the previous interview was in September of 2020. Now, this is two years later. This is just a year ago. He talked about um, a brain-computer interface or brain-cloud interface. Uh, first, he defines for us brain control versus mind control. It's a very short segment, so listen to it. The construct here is very, very simple, ladies and gentlemen. It's simply this. We can zap the brain and modify the mind. That's in a nutshell. A lot of people talk, oh, mind control is really it's just a conspiratorial term. But he says, if you change the brain, you modify the mind. Does that concept sound reasonable to you sure of course i mean especially from a psychological standpoint we know that injuries to specific parts of the brain's broca's area um keeps you from speaking so that makes uh 100 sense right so so the term mind control doesn't give you any sort of uh, doesn't put a smile on your face as far as haha conspiracy theory well, i think we've, we've used that in the in the media for so many years and it's been in movies that it's a uh, it's a pseudoscience. We we say, oh, it's not real, but it it sounds fantastical to daydream about. Now it's as he's saying, and now it's becoming scientifically provable. I agree, and so that means that it's also time to stop making jokes about it and treat it as a serious concept. Very serious, correct? Yeah, very good. I love your commentary, Don. Absolutely. In the next segment, he talks about the, the ability of nanotechnology to enable real-time reading from, from and writing into the brain. Let's give a listen. And ever more those things that are indwelling and that need not necessarily be a surgical implantation because state-of-the-art now is for next-generation non-surgical neuromodulation. Inhalables, ingestibles, deliverables via very, very small-scale units at the nanoscale that can then be segued to where they have to go in the brain and form literally vast arrays of sensors and transmitters to be able to real-time and remotely read from the living brain and write into the living brain. That sounds like sci-fi, doesn't it? 
It's not. This is a project that DARPA, that I have the honor and privilege of working on, called the N-Cube Project. Does it give you any further uh, ideas about the reality of it? That's incredibly insightful. I mean, that's that's something that it would absolutely pique my interest in how that occurs and um, at what level. I mean, many, many years ago, I mean, we would use magnets to uh, externally, but there was no intervention with the brain. And they use that uh, epilepsy. There's a lot of different usages for, you know, it, it was like an external stimulus that that happened to move through that. But now you're talking about crossing the blood-brain barrier. I mean, that's, that is like the last facet of true, true medical intervention. And he's talking about you know, doing this from the inside out. Uh, incredibly interesting to me. You're absolutely correct. Intervention at the brain level, whether it's remote or whether it's using nanotechnology in dwelling, it means it's in your body, it's in your brain. That's the next level of understanding. And I am so sad that a lot of very, very smart people do not accept that reality. We they're just falling behind and holding the conversation back. And this final uh, segment is when we uh, when he talks more about what we're doing with this technology that we're changing what we are. I mean, we're really going into the substrate of the thing that makes us us, the essence of self, if you will. I don't care how you disguise it. What we are doing is we are scanning the brain and from that literally interpretively reading its functions, which are mind. And we are then utilizing these capabilities to then back intersect with that brain and therefore control brain structure and function, ergo mind. I don't care what kind of game you play. It's mind reading and mind control. Blatantly so. Blatantly so. And so the question really is not, are we going to allow this to happen to us? No, I think the real question is, when did we allow for this to be done to us? Because nanotechnology is already in, I see it in the blood. I see it in the blood of both vaccinated and unvaccinated people. So nanotechnology is ubiquitous. It has been found in a bunch of pharmaceuticals, not only in the uh, COVID vaccines, but in other vaccines, in dental anesthetics, in really basic things like saline solution, nanotechnology. So yeah, it is ubiquitous. In some people, it results in a meeting MAC address that, which explains how this network communicates with the uh, with the computers, just like through Wi-Fi technology, through through Bluetooth technology. Uh, but we really don't know the language because the MAC addresses uh, that we detect in certain people they don't mean anything. It, the twelve-digit number it has, you know, the two the first two digits. Uh, mean this is the manufacturer, et cetera, et cetera. So it has meaningful information. We get MAC addresses that don't mean anything, but it means to somebody who uses this technology. And so yeah. really the nanotechnology is already here. And I, I'm afraid that the nanotechnology in the brain is also already there in a large segment of the population. And is it operational? 
it really depends on uh, how operational you want it to be. Maybe in some cases it is operational and you simply don't know you that you've been read and manipulated. And in some people it's done overtly, like in targeted individuals, we know that our brain is read and manipulated. We, we have been explicitly informed about it through V2K or through our experience. It is overt to us, mm -hmm. but it might be covert to others. Any more thoughts from you, Don? You know, as a kid, I read a lot of science fiction. And if you read uh, between the lines, science fiction is really not fiction. It's science fact structured so that it seems fantastical. And if you look at um, just going back to like kind of unconventional warfare, unconventional thinking, the most effective delusion is the one that's obvious. You don't hide a uh, conspiracy delusion behind walls and walls and walls. It takes too long to, to have any effect. So if if there's some kind of collusion, if there, you want to get something into people's bodies, well, we proved you can do that with fluoride. Um, that was a, that was a no brainer and everybody drinks water. So that, which is right in front of us sometimes is the thing that we most overlook, right? You've seen um, different studies of, of accidents. People will see different things and project different images. Um, some will see things that are not there. Some will th see things that the order is reversed. I mean, that's, that's the mind playing its ability to seek security. Right, I, I need to feel secure in what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking, so I'm going to adapt. And this kind of technology, boy, if it is as pervasive as you say, um, it's not a matter of when will it come to us. It's a matter of it's already there. What do you do about it? Right. Um, and the first thing that comes to mind is accountability. Um, someone is interfering with my bodily function that is the same as cognitive rape right there they are inside manipulating me we, we we would hate if someone gave us an injection of cyanide potassium anything that was deadly to our body uh we would say oh that that's a criminal in nature right uh, or if they assaulted us if they punched us in, in form of bruise or broke a bone or hit bodily organs but when it's the inside out i think we should be even more worried that there was no consent Right? There was no understanding of what was happening, and it was non-volitional, meaning I had nothing to do with it. Right, It's the same as being a targeted individual. You didn't raise your hand one day and say, hey, I'd like to sign up for this uh, targeted individual program. Uh, send me. So ethically, I think it's, it's the absolute aberration of humanism, because humanism is all about having empathy for your common man, knowing his condition, um, feeling his or her angst, pain, misery, whenever they feel it. This is the opposite of that. So it's uh, it's very, very concerning. Um, and I think you're bringing to light something that should really scare the shit out of people. It should. It definitely should. I totally agree with you that this is treasonous to your own human race. So this is the opposite of of uh, humanism. Whatever the end goal, the transhumanism, it is anti-humanism. So, right. yeah, we are on the same page. What do you think 
if this really becomes public knowledge, what do we need to do? Do we have? Do we need to go to our Congress people? And we tried, and they are not interested. Do we need to go to our uh, law enforcement, and they're not interested? Or and the third path is to go through the judicial path, mm. and that's what we're doing in our lawsuit target justice v garland sure. but we we first we have to establish establish the connection that that the fbi really put us on that on the terrorist watch watch list and then then we can get to the discovery like why is it happening to like if we are on this list and all these things are happening to us let's go through discovery who is involved because we're not accusing any of the agencies in doing it to us we're just saying we are on the terrorist watch list mm -hmm. and let us look at that database and see if we really are because we have evidence of that mm -hmm. so to me the litigation the legal path is the most practical most realistic because i know how law enforcement treats it this object i know how elected officials treat this subject would you agree that out of these three, or maybe there are some other uh, paths that I uh, haven't thought about? Uh, what do you think, then? What is it they say? Uh, evil exists where good men do nothing. So it is not a facet of waiting for your neighbor to step up and do something. I think it's incumbent upon people to do something. So real good segue. I think the the route you've chosen is the most professional, the most mature uh, probably the most ethical route. I'm probably closer to what I would consider to be like just a raw American. And we are probably not as professional, not as mature. And the way we get things done is by unification of force, right? So I'm reminded of what's happening with Israel and Hamas, right? Hamas comes across... They literally butcher. They were beheading babies. That should that should just disgust you. Beheading babies, raping women. They're not playing by these conventional rules. And here you have Israel massing tanks on the border to move into towns. Tanks are worthless in urban warfare. So you're fighting an unconventional evil construct, which you can equate to nanotechnology being put into us. It's not... It's not playing by the rules. It's not this humanistic, well, you punch me, then give me a chance to punch you, and then we'll go back and forth and we'll fight like men. It almost reminds me of those you know, duels they did with gentlemen. Um, and Israel is going to try to combat a one million-headed snake with a conventional strategy. It's going to fail miserably. And the only people who are going to die are going to be the civilians. When Israel gets the gumption to the intestinal fortitude to decimate Hamas, truly decimate it, and they can they can accept the collateral damage that it's going to incur, they will obliterate Hamas. Hamas will be the first organization to feel the wrath of quasi-evil. And what I mean by quasi-evil is you there is not good will triumph over evil. Good will triumph over evil when it ceases to be locked into a good chamber, right? It doesn't mean we have to go out and do the same 
this is where it gets slippery. It doesn't mean we're going out and doing the same type of heinous acts. It means what will you do to protect the man and woman standing next to you? Because it's not about somebody in a foreign land. This is not the Israelis fighting. I, I feel as if this is kind of this almost sword of God coming into our earthly plane and saying, things have definitely got to change. So if I were targeted, I would feel much the same. They're not playing by the rules. So if nanotechnology, let's say nanotechnology is me right now, and um, they're manipulating, uh, they, they, they make me touch my nose every 10 seconds. I don't know why I'm doing it. And it gets in the way. And then pretty soon I'm touching my whole hand and then pretty soon I'm doing this. And while I'm doing this, I hit somebody while driving my car. I didn't choose to put my hand up against my face and I kill someone else. And there's a price to pay now. It, we will only take action. And by action, I mean civilians rising up. Our government was never created to solve problems. It was created to manage issues, right? Manage taxation, manage the building of roads. We created it into this, well, I want you to solve all my problems. No, that's what the people do. And I think when Americans come together and say, we shall not stand for this, and then they command the government to do things, I think that's powerful. Are we at that stage? Gosh, I don't know. Um, you know, I think we're more worried about who can use what bathroom. And, you know, you know, that seems to be all the rage right now that we're, Americans have always been hung up on on those type of issues. So unless we get back to the roots of what does it mean to be a human, just a damn good human and be a good human to each other, that's when these type of things, especially what's happening to you, become so heinous that it's no longer, well, that happens. It becomes that happened. It stops today. And if this is going to change, it's going to take your viewers and the friends of your viewers, the family of your viewers, the colleagues of your viewers to spread this. You know, we have to get back to common sense. And that sounds very basic and sounds like we're in a we're in a sandbox in, in grade school, but common sense living has been just thrown away in favor of all these pet projects and pet uh, issues. So I'm scared for you. Um, I would be one of your warriors to get the message out. And I think that people watching this should feel the same and say, I do not stand for this. No more, no more invasion. Wonderful words, Don. My concern is when people get outraged, they rise up and they say, no more. And they say no more to the government. The government will say, we don't know what you're talking about. We haven't done anything. Where is the connection? Show us where we're doing something to you. How are you going to manage that problem? Uh, humans need proof of things. If, if you ask an animal in, in nature, um, a bunch of baboons have come into another colony and just decimated them. And the, the revengeful baboons say, we're going to go you know, kick some ass. They don't need proof. They have an inherent biological need to right the scales. Now, they may attack a completely different colony. To the baboons, that makes sense because they don't have an ethical standpoint to say this is wrong. Their biology says this is right. Humans have this incessant need for proof. 
because we seem to feel as if with proof, our right trumps your wrong. You did something wrong. I need to be right and show you that you did it. If our government is not performing in the way that we want, who says we require proof to replace it? Now, the barometer of that is who's going to be the people that writes the code that prevents people from doing things just as heinous as the government? That is a, a perplexing question that's never, ever been answered in the, in the facet of humankind. It wasn't Hitler. It wasn't Eisenhower. It wasn't Caesar. There's never been a type of central um, code writing entity that could rein in people and also send them out to change things. I think that's probably why we were made human. We are we have to wrestle with that conundrum. We were given this this massive hunk of you know gray blob up here to struggle with that. And that becomes kind of our reason for living. We have a perplexing question. We need to change things. What is the what is the right way, but not the way that will be as injurious as the people doing the wrong thing? It's it's a cool, interesting, perplexing question. When you answer it, you know you've got the wrong answer. It's the one thing that's going to be left answered, left unanswered for all of our lifetimes. Wonderful words. Uh, I want to remind everybody that we have a presidential election uh, coming up. And uh, this is not a political show, but I can tell you that I will be a single issue voter. This is the issue I, I deeply care about. And I hope everybody that does too. Because I can't think of anything more important and threatening to us as humans. Like you said, this is so basic that if we don't get that right, then the rest is just meaningless. Doesn't matter. All right, Don. Thank you so much. Thank you, uh, I hope you have a good day at the shooting range. Thank you, uh, sir. Give me, give me your some of your scores, or maybe do a video. <laughs> I'd like to see you, you with a ammo. Always good talking to you. Have a wonderful day. You too, my friend. Thank you. Thank you.